We're going to light tiki them. Tiki torches. We're going to get some tiki torches. We're going to light those motherfuckers, and we're going to march on through town. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. Hello and welcome to Zapotis Life. Welcome. Today is the August 12th. Of the year 2017. And today is National White Supremacist Day. It's about time we get a day, Justin. Yeah, being white is rough. Yeah, it's super hard. I mean, you know, the fact that we have not been oppressed for hundreds of years is really super difficult. And so these new times, you know, these new times, we you are... Know, when's our turn? When's our turn, you know, like... We should feel bad for us. Yeah, I mean, being privileged and not knowing that you have privilege and what that means, it's really hard. Like, that's really hard. There's a lot that goes into that, you know. Plus, I mean, Home Depot has a huge sale on tiki torches. Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to take all of your tiki torches, if that's okay. I imagine that someone planned for days, went to, went to every place, just went, went all around every single store. They're like, we're going to buy them all. We're going to have a torch rally. With We're finally going to use our parking. trucks to haul something. It's about time. That's all I'm saying. You know, we really just deserve, we deserve a day to be recognized. You know, it's been a rough road to get here to come steal yeah. land from but in all, native in all people seriousness, and, today is a day where a terrorist attack has been carried out by white supremacists, killing one person and injuring, I don't know how many, what, what it is right now. I thought it was like eight, twelve, somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Nineteen injured, yeah, one yeah. death. Yeah. So uh, I mean, not a not a new thing. No, I mean, it's been isolated in the last couple decades. But in the nineties, it was a uh, was a hot thing to be a white terrorist. Obviously, you have the Oklahoma City bombing killed hundreds of people, children. So this is this is not really a, a new thing. And I think I think it's right that you call it what it is, Justin. I think that th- these are acts of terrorism, and we're so willing to call things perpetrated by people of other faiths than what our quote national faith might be, Christianity, uh, or people of color, really anyone of a different color than us. We we call we're so quick to call those acts of terror acts of terrorism, but that's exactly what this is. It's hate filled acts of terrorism as of this recording the president really hasn't called it that i think that in a statement he had said there are many sides to blame yep so there's that oh man it's starting out super sad but it's it's, we do have a a pretty long history of this kind of violence there's probably plenty of plenty of books books and videos to watch about it you can go to youtube yeah, yeah. Go to YouTube and believe everything you see I think on you YouTube. Everything I had to sit. You should just keep clicking next video. 
and educate yourself. Look, Justin, I recently had to sit and listen to an entire hour-long video about why Pizzagate, no joke, is real. And I no, I don't believe that. But this person made me sit and argued with me that this was a real thing. Why would you do that? <sighs> because I think... At some a a I didn't actually know what the other side's argument on all that was, so I wanted to kind of educate myself as to the content of the material that existed online that people use to justify their ideas about what is and is not real in the world. And so I took some time to do that. I kind of did some, I guess, little research myself. And then at the end had a maybe two hour long conversation about the logic, like breaking down the logic behind this video, behind what their beliefs were. And really, their belief was that using children in any type of sexual activity is wrong. And I'm like, okay, that is correct. That is true. That is a logical thing. But that doesn't mean that this person was raping children and we should like and is hiding them in the basement. You know, like it's it's so the odd. Basement that does not exist. It's so odd that it's people will take time by to the Illuminati. Well, no, but I'm just saying it's so odd that people will take time to build a bridge using trying to use some fucked up backwards logic about how one thing means another thing. And I don't know, it's that was a that was rough to have to sit through and, and deal with. But I mean, I think that we're dealing a lot more with those types of videos being online, those types of and people call that research. They said I, when people people say all the time now, oh, I've done research on this. I've researched this topic. Well, I went on, you know, YouTube and watch two hours worth of videos. And now I'm a fucking scholar on this topic. And you're like, oh. yeah, did, did you know that the weather is geoengineered by power plants? I think that there is a, I think they're seeding the air. What's a, what's a belief that all, oh, the repto Illuminati, is that what it is? Like the reptile the Illuminati? Reptilian people? Yeah. Uh-huh. They live underground and they live among us as the, the Jews. I think, well, and they can put and on like the, little costumes. The media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely the Jews for, for sure. We don't actually believe any of this, by the way. Like you have to, I feel like you have to yeah, say we'll that nowadays. This actually makes feel, it into the right, but, but, but it is funny because I feel like it, I feel like even if you do cut through some of it, you have to like ultimately like say at the end, like, okay, this is fucking satire, folks. Like this is what satire is. Alex Jones does not do satire. He's a crazy man that actually believes those things. And he portrays all of the wait, information. Wait, wait. I don't know if we can actually play, claim 100% that Alex Jones believes what he's saying. But but what I'm saying is he may think you he, don't make $8 million off of supplements that are nothing without a vested interest in making money off of the paranoia of other people. I really don't think Alex Jones is buying what he's selling. But he's fucking selling it, man. And that's not what we're doing here. Th I mean, we yeah, we are having no, like, fun. Doesn't let him off the hook or anything. but No, but what I'm saying is we're having fun. This is satire. And I hope that we make it obvious enough to other folks that like people like that. We're not we're not being real. Like this is his, oh, the history side of our show is real. Like uh, satire. <clears throat> I really don't don't care to comfort you about it. Fair enough. But anyways, so from Politico, the Donald Trump section, news analysis and opinion. By Matthew Nussbaum. Mm. Today in Trump world, August 11th, prior to this this attack. So this is only a 
the night of the Tiki Torch. The world continues to puzzle over exactly President Trump's comments on North Korea. Are they an escalation? An off-the-cuff line? Or as some of the White House convinced Wednesday, NBD. For its part, North Korea dismissed it as nonsense. And yet, even as the specter of nuclear conflict loomed, a familiar trouble for President Trump, the Russian investigation, popped back into view. Elsewhere in President Trump's orbit. President Trump and his team seem to have not taken kindly comments from Senator Mitch McConnell and have escalated a feud between the two. Trump social media guru Dan Savino ripped the Senate leader on Twitter, as did Trump. Well, that's so, yeah, there's the news. Also, also that whole North Korea thing. You know, the North Korea thing. Potential conflict with North Korea, NBD, as they say. Uh-oh. Nuclear destruction. Nuclear? Mutual assured nuclear destruction. Okay, so to get us caught up, Thor in the side, Charles Lee, is captured by the British. The people of New Jersey were giving loyalty oaths to the British and abandoning the patriotic cause. Washington heads to Pennsylvania to protect the capital in Philadelphia. While Washington is rushing to Pennsylvania, British General Howe rushes 12,000 troops to Trenton, but decides it's too cold and heads to winter quarters with the entirety of his British troops. Howe does leave some Hessian troops in Trenton to protect the town. Because it's winter, Washington is super afraid that the Delaware will freeze. Troops from Trenton will walk across the river to assault Philadelphia. The Patriots leave Philadelphia and roll over to Baltimore. Philadelphia was their capital. They roll over to Baltimore. The British were way too close for comfort when they were in Philadelphia. Thomas Paine writes 13 essays called The Crisis. This acts as a patriotic Viagra of sorts. Serious shit was hitting the fan. There was no money. They were People were abandoning the capital en masse. The British were dangerously close to forcing Washington and the Patriot forces to quit. Washington, realizing an opportunity, decides to plan an attack. Howe rolled out, and there were only a few troops to hold Trenton. Remember the password, victory or death. Seriously, though, he was ready to die. Uh, he didn't really have any other way out. This whole thing is going down on Christmas Eve, 1776. The weather was horrible the night of the attack. Mass confusion ensued, soaked guns. No one knew where anyone was. Boats were having difficulty crossing. Scouts, led by a drunk commander, remember two first names, Adam Stevens, runs into Hessian troops, alerting them to the Patriots' presence in the area. The whole You, sir. You, sir. No, I just got really heated last time. I'm, a, I'm afraid that if I go into it again, I might just pop up. You don't off. want to wake the beast. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't wake that beast. Not again. The whole battle of Trenton kicks off with Knox raining down cannon fire on the city. George is a total badass and charges ahead of his troops into the city. The Patriots took the city on Christmas Day and his men got sloppy drunk for the entire rest of the day. 22 Hessians were killed, 84 were wounded, and 900 were captured. The Congress, impressed by his recent victory, end up giving him a shit ton of control over recruitment, money, and military planning efforts. They were willing to put a lot of trust into one man, very much against the patriotic thinking of a military led by a body of people over one single potential despot. Washington comes up with a sneaky plan to move all his men into enemy territory before the end of that year's enlistments. 
basically he wanted to trap his men on one side of a river so that they kind of had to fight. Washington ends up getting 3,000 men without pledging to stay for another six months. An incredible feat, considering just a few days earlier, all these men were ready to give up and head home. After learning that the British were planning a retaliatory attack, George makes a stand at Assumpink Bridge, just south of Trenton. How fucks up again and lets George escape during the night. George heads to Princeton overnight to attack the British from their side, their flank. The whole thing is a clusterfuck. British are bayoneting the hell out of the Patriots. George decides it's time to do what he does best. He rode into battle with no regard for his life and led the Patriots cock. and a massive cock after doing a line of cocaine and leads the Patriots to victory. Alec. Do you know that he invented cocaine? He invented cocaine. It's a fact. He knew the whole thing. He was, yeah, what a genius. Mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton, totally helped by raining down some artillery and throwing the British into mass confusion. I definitely wanted to make sure I mentioned uh, good old Allie Hamilton in there, you know? Ham. Very much the Sir Davos Seaworthy of Washington's army. Low born. Missing fingers. The low born. Excellent voice. Yeah. So let's uh, get into talking about George Washington's big fat mess. I want everyone <clears throat> to think of all the heroic, patriotic, and badass shit the Continental Army has pulled off so far and just throw it straight out the window. The reality was that Washington's army was, for the most part, a big fat mess. A lot of these men's were flaky bitches. <laughs> or, as Washington put it, here today, gone tomorrow. Like, guys, what yep. the fuck? You're taking the money and then leaving. Guys, you know, I hate flaky bitches, Mark. Fucking, I, are you talking about me? We also have to remember that raising an army is not easy and it is not cheap, especially in this kind of climate. So they continue to bribe dudes with land and money or maybe a special place in heaven. You just have to be between the ages of 17 and 50 to get the afterlife package. Meanwhile, George continues to be frustrated by Congress. He really wants more control of his army. He wants to be able to pick his own officers. He wants the power. Unlimited power. I want the power. On the other hand, guys like Johnny Adams insist that they continue to pump the brakes on this whole George Washington thing. Which is funny because Adams totally wanted Washington in. And then he kind of seemed a little fucking bitter about it, right? Like, you're just like, dude, you literally were the one saying, like, I think that we should choose George Washington. And then you turned around and were like, but this guy's a fucking tool, okay? That's confusing. Come on, Virginia. (laughs) Adams of course, is worried about the mythical or legendary aspect of Washington. He believes that this godlike perception of Washington could eventually become an evil comparable to like royal tyranny, like what they're fighting now. I said tyranny, you're wrong. A tyranny. <laughs> Ro- royal tyranny. The guy has read some books, apparently. On the last episode, we talked briefly about the desire for the Continental Army to retreat into Pennsylvania for winter quarter. Well, after those triumphs in Trenton and Princeton, George decides on 
Morristown, <laughs> New Jersey. He decides that's a good place to camp. It's a bold move that enables them to stay somewhat active in harassing the Redcoats. Hey, that's a nice supply chain you've got going on there. Be a shame if we fucked with it all winter. The Americans fought with British foraging parties all winter long in New Jersey. The small skirmishes ensured that the British could not get anything without fighting for it. Adding to our Freemason conspiracy, that whole winter, the British probably could have just crushed them and ended the war. They definitely could have wiped out this tiny colonial army and captured Washington, but they didn't. So this is a Freemason thing. (laughs) What is Howe up to? Howe. Still chilling. At his winter quarters in Manhattan, drinking hot cocoa by day. He loves those winter quarters. Pants on by night. Oh yeah, no, he loves those winter quarters. He's all about them. He's like, oh my gosh, we're getting cold. it's getting cold up here, girls. We're gonna layer. Everything's gonna be fucking great. Sipping some cocoa. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. I he just is not like, about to stop his no. ball life. No, for this war. <laughs> by that I mean he had balls, but the kind you get to dress up and dance in. Washington, on the other hand, has become a different commander. He's going through some shit now. He's had a Mr. Miyagi montage about war. He waxed on in Boston. He waxed off in New York. The result is a focused George. More war thinking and less Mount Vernon decoration thinking. Now, Morristown offered a couple advantages for that winter life. Surrounding hills for protection against punk kids on skateboards, lots of farms so that as troops could eat Pop-Tarts, some not so great things, soldiers dying from 1770s shit and smallpox showing up again. As a precaution, Washington starts to require recruits to be inoculated. Super smart. He also wants to start running some PR campaigns during this law in action. The Continental Army he thought, needed to be kinder than the Redcoats when it came to civilians. George did not tolerate pillaging or tomfoolery, even in cases where the civilians were suspected Tories or loyalists. You have to be more like the Care Bearers and hope that your opponents are being more of a dick than you are. Plenty of political philosophers disagree with this stance, but it was probably the correct attitude to have for an inferior force. There's one example of how serious George was about this PR campaign. It went down over a year ahead of where we're at in the timeline, but I think it's worth sharing. So sometime later, four of the Magic Mike XXXL lifeguards, a.k.a. Washington's personal guard, start breaking into houses and taking shit they want, you know, like silver spoons or bongs Uh or what have you. Uh Uh-oh. And this is how dumb these hot personal guards were. Super hot. They're they're so sexy, and they're wearing (laughs) their specific sexy outfits that only the Magic Mike guard wear. So they're, they're easily identified. (laughs) <laughs> An officer notices that one that one of the guards is looking rather fancy lately. He's oh, a sexy f- guy by the name of John Herrick. Oh, you fancy. So, yeah. John Herrick, you fancy. So they interrogate him. 
And they're like, hey, I saw you you were eating cornflakes last week with a wooden spoon. Now you're eating frosted flakes with a silver spoon. It's the middle of winter. Where the fuck are you getting this shit? I'm moving on up, moving on Here, up. You know, can't handle it. Zoolander style. Spills the beans, rats out the other three dudes <laughs> to save his own skin. What a dick. You're just like, what the fuck? I thought sexy meant moral. <laughs> now I make an example of you, even though you're sexy. So sexy. You three, you get hung. I mean, you are, you are, you are hung. hung. You're getting. And you have to be hanged. <laughs> and the rat John Herrick gets 100 lashes. Two of the smart, smarter sexy guys <laughs> escape before their execution. Yeah, they're like, we are out of here. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the third one, he gets the rope and Herrick with the lashes. And also, also lashes. <laughs> So, do the catwalk. Back to our timeline. <laughs> Loyalists were, of course, still a problem. Washington could not trust them. He basically thought they were pieces of shit, scum of the earth. But in a war where you have to win hearts and minds, you couldn't exactly go all Darth Vader on them. Instead, he would give them a chance to switch to his side by pledging their allegiance. Staying loyal to the British in his territory resulted getting the boot. But you were allowed to take your possessions with you. I said, well, that's nice. That is nice. That's nice. But you had to get moving over to the British-held lands. Oh, you could also, if you wanted to, leave your wife and child behind. Cherno describes this as Solomon-like solutions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to leave your women, your women behind. I mean, if you want to separate half of that baby. Yeah, I want half the baby. I'll take half the baby. Also, at this point, Washington's spy game. Wait, which half of the baby? Ooh. We're, we're going symmetrical, right? Oh, you want to just go up and down? Yeah. Oh, no, I was thinking top half, bottom half. Mm-hmm. Well, then, well, then I don't even want it. <laughs> We haven't gone into much detail yet, mostly because we feel like this topic deserves its own episode. But there is a show on AMC about Washington spies called Turnt. Turnt. I have watched a couple episodes. It's very interesting. I've seen all of them, Justin. Have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm into it. Good acting. I think it's fun. So I don't I don't know how accurate it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... Seemed to be legit from what uh, I watched. It's pretty close. And actually, their wa- their portrayal of Washington is one of my more favorite portrayals of him. They actually portray him as being breathy. He's still, like, way too handsome. You're like, you're fucking way too put together to be George Washington. Yeah, I don't think I, I, don't think I got to see any of him. Uh, no, he shows up more later in the first season and a lot in the second season, third season. Mm. Because the, the more the more that they go into the spy stuff, the more that George Washington gets involved because that was kind of his his deal, his thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So without digging too much into that shit, Washington was great at cyber. His spies had code names. They used invisible ink. They had pr- they had private funding so that they would not have to go through Congress. Oh. George believed it was very important to infiltrate New York which he called the fountain of intelligence. By the way, Justin, you want to know what the inventor of the invisible ink's name was? 
I do. I, I do know. He had his he, name. He had two same he names. He was the brother of. Who's he the brother of? I'm, that's a good question. He was the he was the brother of someone quite important, and I can't I can't remember that right now. Do you know what his name was? Yeah, yeah. He had two same names, James James. Like not only two first names, he had two same names, James James. James who does, James. Who does hmm. that? Interesting. Yeah, two same names, James James. His brother was someone, some James important. I can't remember why he was important right now. His brother's name was Jimmy Jimmy. Jesse James. No, that's not right. We'll figure it out. We'll get it. So I really do want to go into more detail on the spy stuff. But like you said, we're going to cover it later because, damn, it's so, it is, it is fascinating. Washington had this incredible ability to organize, guide, and generally command a large amount of resources and manpower. Sure wasn't James J. No, it's James James. It's James James. 100%. Continue. I think this made him a good spy master, this ability to organize and guide. Um, but he couldn't really do this alone. His military family, the men who wrote for him and helped him process the massive amount of paperwork that would need to be generated for communicating efficiently in this area, were able to translate Washington's general intentions and ideas into well-written communications that would be sent to military officials. It's James J., you dick. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. His brother is John Jay. <laughs> Josh, are you sure it's not James James? I don't know why I thought it was James James. Sir James Jay. Oh. This motherfucker was a, was a knight, a physician, and a politician. It's badass. All right, that's pretty cool. I'll have to look more into that. But anyway, these guys from Washington's family were able to translate Washington's general intentions and ideas into well-written communications that would be sent to military officials, foreign dignitaries, as well as Congress. As you mentioned, Justin, Washington spent little time on personal matters during this time. It took a lot of effort to lead military conflict against the largest military power in the whole world. Washington was still having his fun, though, let's be real, you know. Some of the most fun times that Washington had were when he had meals with his aides, his military family. These were reported to have been served in the English style consisting of eight to ten large serving dishes of meat and poultry with vegetables, followed by a second course of pastry, comprised under two denominations, both pies and puddins. Pies and puddins. Followed pear. by... Can I get some pie? Can I get some pudding? Followed by an abundant platter of apples and nuts, the same nuts that Washington would crack with his nasty broken teeth. And, you know, this is basically a... That's how, that's how that fucking happened. Uh, meals were served with fine silver adorned with Washington's griffin crest. Drinks were also served in silver goblets. This was some fancy shit. Minus the fact that they were out in a field in some small, quaint, undecorated establishment sitting on small walnut camp stools away from their families and loved ones. Unsure if they were going to live or die. But apparently at these meals, Washington was, quote, unbuttoned. He would most likely not speak to you if he didn't know you. But in the presence of these young, handsome dream boats, he was able to relax and, quote, got quite merry and talked a good deal. Oh, George just becoming right out. He's just unbuttoned. He's just taking those buttons right off. Popping buttons, you know. In early 1777, Washington's army began to turn to over, turn over, turn to over. Reed, Reed left and was replaced by Nathaniel Green. 
Nathaniel Green, the guy with the weird spelling of the name. I Nathaniel. guess Nathaniel and Nathaniel. I guess Reed couldn't take it anymore after writing those letters to Charles Lee. It would have probably been super awkward around the office. Green was pretty stoked to be back in action. He wrote to his wife and basically said that he could feel Washington's confidence increase every hour. Specifically, the more distressing their affairs grew. When I was reading Chernow's account of Washington during this time, he mentioned how good Washington was at reading people and adapting his personality accordingly. Chernow also writes how Washington was not quick to let down his guard. On March 1st, 1777, a beautiful angel savior named Alexander Hamilton answered Washington's call to serve in his family. Washington loved Hamilton's ambition and get-it-done attitude. Hamilton was a lot different than the other men serving Washington. He was considered to be an illegitimate child. He was from a small island. He was super poor. He was also super lucky and got sent to study in America via a bunch of scholarships. Not sure if any of you have missed the fucking goddamn spectacle it is, the Alexander Hamilton musical, but if you haven't heard Shame it, on you. you need to get fucking on that shit. We're not going to go, I'm not going to go into too much detail here on Hamilton, but yeah, I go, will go say. Go to the gym, listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. I used to work out better. so hard to listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. No joke. Oh man, it's good. But Hamilton loved and revered Washington, although he didn't think he was completely perfect. He thought Washington had only modest ability. He knew Washington was often deeply conflicted when it came to his duties as commander-in-chief. Washington welcomed critical opinions, though. He learned after the whole Reed incident that he would rather people speak openly to his face rather than behind his back. I think Hamilton was able to fill a certain role in Washington's family because he was super honest with him bluntly fucking honest. I believe that Washington probably would have respected this quality. I think that Washington's relationship with Hamilton was especially interesting because of George's preference to the upper class. Right. He, he felt that men from higher social economic cir- circles were truly better than their lesser. There, there are accounts of him plainly explaining this belief that date back to the French and Indian War, as well as advice he gave to the likes of Patrick Henry. Because as much as he resented the British Army, the he man. also believed that they were the cat's pajamas. He saw how the British Army chose its command, and he saw that as something to emulate. But we do fast forward to this time and see that he, he's heavily relying on men like Alexander Hamilton and Henry Knox, men that practically came from nothing. And so that brings us back to Winter Washington, who was a big fan of eating salad during winter. He was, however, not a fan of fun during winter. No building snowmans, no snow angels, certainly no fucking sledding. At this time during winter, rum was rationed and card bands were pretty much banned. No Uno, no Skippo, no Hearts, you know, all those fun card games. He was interested in the lives of his army's flute players and drummers. He regulated their practice and had strong opinions about drums. I want to read a quote from George, but I'm going to blank out one particular word 
Take away from it what you will. The use of blank are as signals to the army. And if every blanker is allowed to beat at his pleasure, the intention is entirely destroyed, as it will be impossible to distinguish whether they are beating for their own pleasure (laughs) or signal of troops. I'm a 13-year-old. He also did not like potty talk. He hated the swears. Words like cock and shit and barf and black landowner. These are things that George does not want to hear out of, out of a soldier. Almost nothing upset him more than a soldier using bad words in front of him. So much so that he would enlist the help of chaplains and even say shit like, act like a Christian and stop saying naughty things. And it is worth noting that he used Christian for this purpose. That's how much he hated swearing. Typically, he would use the term providence. Thank providence. Praise be to providence. So it's a big deal that he's invoking Christ here. Well, you know, no no quicker way to get people to do what you want them to do than by telling them that some invisible man in the sky doesn't like when you do the sort of a thing. So, I mean, good for him, you know. It's the body of Christ, baby. <laughs> It's a hot body. Moving from winter to spring of 1777, 777, that's the number of Christ. Washington gets sick as shit for about 10 days, probably poop related, which may explain (laughs) his disdain for potty talk. On top of that, the Continental Army has thinned to only about 2,500 men. Fickle bitches they were. He really needs Martha. He's very thankful for her arrival that March. Martha's presence and her planning fun activities invigorated George. He becomes super, and he says, thanks for asking. (laughs) I'm super, thanks for asking. People are dying. Children are crying. Politicians are lying, too. Cancer is killing. Texaco's billing. Don't you think I look cute in this hat? Oh, I miss Big Gay Al. <laughs> Martha brings out this Big Gay Al, George Washington, but she also brings around young women for George to flirt with. Don't you think that's, that's weird? weird. Yeah, don't, like, isn't that so weird? Like, she knew that he liked to flirt with, like, young... He was flirty. He was a flirty man. Like, and she's like, sure, whatever. She turned the knob up on cheering up George to 11 and brought women. She turned it up. So the Continental Army gains (laughs) groupies that spring, to which George responds, oh, well, I can't do nothing about it. Like, what the fuck... You wouldn't let us drink or swear or play Uno, but your prostitutes are fine. <laughs> well, they all kind of had prostitutes, I guess. You know, the military train. Washington had personal groupies, uh, his military family, the aides I mentioned before. Like I said, they would write his letters. They would help with day-to-day camp operations. They dressed well. They helped fill in deficiencies that Washington had. These were both men that had better pedigree and education. They helped project a more refined Washington. 
Many writings from Washington are actually not accredited to him, but are actually accredited to his military family. And Martha, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, also had a group of people that would handle her, her correspondence and write for her because she basically didn't have a education in writing. Although she could also ride a horse really well. So, I mean, it's good for you. A couple people stick out specifically. We've talked about Hamilton and we'll probably talk about Hamilton a little bit more. He's a pretty big role and figure in George Washington's life. One man in particular was named John Lawrence. His father was Henry Lawrence. This is the man that would succeed John Hancock at the Continental Congress. And his son, John, had a European education. He studied law in England. He ends up getting uh, into a duel later, but... He's in Washington's military family and is someone that Washington trusts deeply. And this is a pretty good pick for Washington in general. He was intelligent, fearless on the battlefield, good at horse riding, and was a pretty handsome gentleman. I did some Google image searches of what he looked like. And if any of these are to be believed at all, he was quite a cutie. Another gentleman that really, I think, had a massive influence throughout George Washington's entire life, and someone that George Washington truly actually loved was the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, again, if you haven't seen the Hamilton musical, fuck you, or at least watch it, I mean, listen to it. You know, like, get, get your fucking shit together. But Immigrants, they get the job done. They fucking get the job done. And that's, I mean, like you said, that's actually an important piece of it. He was an immigrant. He was a Frenchman. Out of all of his aides, Washington was perhaps closest to Lafayette. He spent a lot of time with Lafayette on the battlefield and would later spend a lot of time corresponding with him throughout the rest of his life. Like we said, he was a French nobleman. His full name, his full name was Marie-Joseph-Paul Yaves Roque Gilbert Dumontier. And holy fuck, that's a mouthful. Lafayette said of his own name, quote, I was baptized like a Spaniard end quote. We just know him as Lafayette or the Marquis de Lafayette. He had a really interesting story coming over from France. France was in this pre-revolutionary condition. So I think a lot of what was happening over in the United States was really encouraging to people that didn't really agree with the royal class or the idea of having a sovereign. This young Lafayette, growing up in this pre-revolutionary France, fell in love with the idea of revolution, not to mention he's French and they sort of just don't like the British anyway. He was only 19 when he originally made his voyage over here. He was married at 14, so that boy was kind of in a hurry to get some fucking life done like shit. He didn't actually know English before he came over here. He just learned it all over here. Like I said, it's an interesting story of his voyage over here because he snuck out of France. There was a really big sense in France of wanting to go over to the Americas as a military representative, get some type of role and leadership and kind of make your name there because that was a big military theater of the time. So all the French upper class were doing it, kind of sneaking over to the Americas and recruiting themselves to its efforts. The Marquis de Lafayette wanted to go. So he decided he was going to kind of get a few ships together and kind of, you know, set off on a voyage by hiring people to go over there, even though in France at the time, there was a moratorium of people being allowed to go over. And the Marquis, uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but was a, a person of note in France. And so he managed to get a ship. He was a rich French dude. He was a rich, rich French dude. He managed to get a ship 
he left somehow on this ship. And I, this is Red very Patrick curious Henry, like to me. Huckleberry Finn. He got some fucking letters and like basically found out that people wanted him to come home. They were like, they were like, we don't want this dude to go to leave. And so he went back, like he went back to France after leaving. He came back and everyone was like, dude, we were, we thought we were going to get to go to America with you. Now you're fucking going back. What the fuck? We just snuck you out of here. While he goes is en route back to France to meet his, he's actually going to meet up with his father-in-law uh, because his father-in-law was like, what the fuck, dude? He, you know, I need to talk to this dude and he, he needs to be set straight. His, his father-in-law is this big military general in France. En route to his father-in-law, he gets kind of caught up with this guy that's like, oh, if I attach myself to Lafayette and go to the Americas with him, if he rises in power, I can kind of rise with him. So he's like, listen, don't worry about it. Everybody wants you to go. I, everybody thinks it's cool. The, everybody was just joking before, but like, we're going to go do this thing now. So they go back to the boats and then, then sail across to fucking America. When he arrived, he put Congress in a little bit of a conundrum. Congress couldn't pay him. So he offered a year of free service. Congress did need French support, specifically some support from wealthy landowning Frenchmen. Benjamin Franklin also highly recommended him and pleaded with Congress to give Lafayette a position in the revolutionary forces. However, he wasn't American born and therefore he couldn't be given command of any American forces physically. He was, however, given an honorary position as a major general although he was specifically supposed to just be literally honorary position only Lafayette definitely thought he would be able to kind of woo his way into actually assuming control of some men. He really was like, "Mm, okay, you may say this is honorary, but if you're not willing to back up the title with an actual position in these forces, what the fuck? Washington actually even once directly told Lafayette he was not going to be given direct command or direct command of any soldiers, but he would hold Lafayette personally in confidence as both a friend, quote, friend and father, end quote. So, whoa, George, uh, slow down, crazy fucking slow down. I mean, don't worry, man. We're not going to give you some troops. We can't do that. You're not American born. You're kind of like this cool Frenchman that we want to have over here. But, but, uh, gonna love you as a friend and a father just you know just gonna throw that out there it's like well, that's weird i don't know it's weird um <laughs> gonna love you as a friend and a father just gonna love you as a friend and a father you know uh so Lafayette, what if you ended every email <laughs> you wrote like love that. you as a friend and a father oh it's gonna be ryan. my new it's gonna be my new signature now friend and father ryan markley <laughs> oh that's funny I guess it's a weird I guess it's a weird compliment. But damn, George, like that's too much. Lafayette was a Mason, which is interesting. He was actually a Mason in France and then came over here. So, yeah, Washington loved this fact. And it definitely quickly opened doors for Lafayette. It's probably also in the Illuminati. Also gifted George the key to the Bastille. He certainly did. And Mount Vernon. It was that was pretty fucking cool. He's like, oh, hey, here's the key to the Bastille. And you're just like, well. Okay, like Lafayette fit right into the general's family. He was definitely handsome. He knew how to wear a fucking uniform. He knew how to get the key of the best deal. He was seriously, seriously, though, he looked 
sharp as fuck, though, like all the time was just dapper fucking Frenchman. Chernow notes that Washington definitely enjoyed Lafayette's, quote, boyish zest. That's an odd choice of words. Just saying. Chernow continues that Washington most enjoyed, quote, his florid language, his poetic effusions, his transparent ambitions, and his well-meaning, if clumsy, manner, end quote. And Lafayette was definitely pure-hearted, spirited, and he had these uh, streaks of grandiosity. To the clumsy manner, he mixed with kings and queens. As a young age, he even was taking horse riding lessons at Versailles, but he never really fit in with the royals in France, which I think is pretty key to how everything plays out here. Thomas Jefferson had some different thoughts about Lafayette. He thought he was, quote, panting for glory and had a, quote, canine appetite for popularity and fame. Uh, From Gossip Girl Abigail Adams, we learned that Lafayette was, quote, dangerously amiable, polite, affable, insinuating, pleasing, hospitable, indefatigable, and ambitious. The point is, he was very charming and almost dangerously so. I guess many sides to one coin. Fun story about how the first two met. Washington went to inspect his troops, and Washington was feeling a little a little troop shy. You know, he was like, hey, I'm a little jealous about the condition that my condition is in. My troops are not so good right now. I mean, these, these guys are led by, like, officers that are picked by Congress. And, I mean, you were picked by Congress to be here. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, these officers are just kind of like, I'm the, I don't hire these guys. Like, they're not mine. And Lafayette stated, quote, I am here to learn, not here to teach. And I bet this gave George a massive erection. Like just the biggest erection that there ever was. The biggest George Washington Lafayette love boner that you could possibly ever imagine. He loved this man. I kind of want to just leave off with Lafayette and kind of leave off about Washington's military family with this one quote by George Washington. And he's talking about Lafayette here, but he extended Lafayette this compliment after the war was over. And I think that it's very fitting to who Lafayette is, but he says he possesses uncommon military talents, is of quick and sound judgment, preserving and enterprising without rashness. And besides these, he is of very conciliating temper and of perfect sobriety, qualities that rarely combine in the same person. I think that that's like, that's a pretty fucking powerful quote from George fucking Washington. Although, like I said, he he really did love Lafayette a fucking lot. Although it's interesting because like I was kind of reading a lot about like Lafayette and Washington's relationship today. I think that George Washington did see a lot of himself. Like think about, I was thinking about it when he spent a lot of time Lafayette around these noble people and all this nobility. And he just never felt like he fit in, which is like the exact opposite of Washington because he always wanted to fit in and have more opportunity and so these two kind of met in like a really weird, like perfect balance where Wa- like Lafayette wanted this like simple but true life. You know what I mean? And Washington want- wanted a little bit more grand court style life. You know, he wanted to be genteel. And so I think that these two just met in a really interesting place. And I don't know. I th- I'm glad that George Washington actually had a man like Lafayette to kind of ha- have him as a surrogate son and kind of. You know, hey, we're going to show you how military works. 
Uh-huh. I played General Lafayette in a in a play. Really? In it was like third grade. <laughs> There's some play about what George Washington ate for breakfast. That's kind of funny. It was silly. So that about wraps it up. Yeah, my friend. I think that's uh, I think that's a good place to kind of leave it off today. And uh, we want you guys to rate, review, subscribe, please. You know, just give please, us, please, please. Give and us tell the your love about that us, we you know? deserve, and and we'll love you. Go back. to Patreon. Yeah, if you go to Patreon, we do we do have a Patreon up, and it does exist. Yeah, I mean, it. Listen, here's the deal. This is not free. This uh, this none of this is free, and this requires a lot of time. And so, I mean, if you want to help help us, throw us a few bucks. I think that there are some kind of goals that we've set up within the program to put out some more content. And as we have more of a focus and ability to kind of come here and do this sort of a thing, because there's a monetary incentive to do it versus I'm spending my time everywhere else in the whole world trying to make this work as a side project. Yeah, I think we could be able to bring more content and have some more fun with it. So, yeah, go check it out. Have a great day. Okay, Bye. bye. Washington, Washington, six foot eight, weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington.